Support for Talk the Towns comes from the Maine Community Foundation, partnering with donors and nonprofits statewide to strengthen Maine communities through grants and scholarships on the web at maincf.org. The time is 10 o'clock and you are tuned to WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. Talk of the Towns with your host Ron Beard is up next. Good morning and welcome to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. We try to go beyond the headlines to make sense of the issues facing Maine communities to share what works to seek alternative solutions. Talk of the Towns is produced with support from Cooperative Extension, the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine with offices statewide. Cooperative Extension puts knowledge to work with the people of Maine and like WERU, whose mission is to be a voice of many voices, operates out of a sense that everyone benefits when we share our knowledge, our experience, our concerns, and our perspectives. We're about to practice the magic of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our friends, our neighbors, and colleagues. I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour and talk of the towns. Maine's own organic milk, or moo milk, is processing, marketing, and delivering milk from 12 organic dairy farmers to their customers in Maine and beyond. Betting the Farm is a documentary film telling the story of moo milk and the farmers who have really risked their livelihoods to create a new way of doing business. We tried to air this show in its entirety back in October. We had some technical difficulties, so now we're putting it back together. And I'm really happy to welcome Bill Eldridge. Bill is the CEO for Moo Milk, and he's with us in the studio. A little later on, we'll talk with Aaron Bell of Tide Mill Organic Farm. And then we'll play an interview with Cecily Pingree and um, Jason Mann of Pull Start Pictures, whose uh, film has been making um, great um, progress here in the state of Maine. It was just at the Agricultural Trade Show in Augusta, and we'll ask Bill to tell us a little bit about that. But we'll hear that interview and then uh, conclude the show with your questions and comments. Well, welcome to you, Bill. Well, thank you for having me, Ron. So tell us the story of Moo Milk from your perspective. When did you first start to get involved? Well, basically I started getting involved when um, a couple of folks who were pretty well known in the agricultural scene, Russ Libby, who, as we all know, Hmm. passed away recently. um, And and Russ was adamant about we cannot have any more of our dairy farmers disappear, especially our organic dairy farmers. And when H.P. Hood decided that for economic reasons, our small dairy farms up in the remote parts of the state were no longer economical, and they sent out their notices in February, well, actually late January 2009. It was like a bombshell that hit these guys. Um, they were in it for the long haul. They had converted previously in either three or four or five or six years before at Hood's insistence, and now the parent was telling them that they were no longer wanted. Um, and at that point in time, um, uh, Seth Bradstreet, who was the Commissioner of Agriculture, as well as John Olson, who's the Executive Director of Maine Farm Bureau, all sort of ganged up on three of us. Uh, myself, um, another gentleman by the name of Romy Haynes, who's from the county, and David Bright, who's a erstwhile organic berry farmer with his wife in uh, Dixfield. Dixmont? Dixmont. Mm-hmm. Um, and the three of us were working on another project uh, about seeing if we could improve the distribution of main small farm produce into the grocery trade. Um, and when this struck, we all sort of got together and decided we had to do something. Um, 
Uh, you, your listeners might not know it, but dairy is sort of a very interconnected, integral part of the infrastructure of agriculture in the state. Um, because they're a continuous and ongoing process, things like um, feed suppliers and a lot of equipment dealers and everything else like that are dependent on their continued business to make their sales to keep them going. And the concern was that there might be a domino effect if these 10 farms disappeared, then another 10 go, and pretty soon you're like uh, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. There's nobody left. So the, the difference is that um, uh, organic uh, vegetable farmers, they have a seasonal kind of thing, and, you know, they gear up, they plant their crops and they have to buy their seed I suppose in the spring or winter time when seed catalogs come out yep. but their production is only um, a portion of a year and their sales are, are following that you're saying that organic milk or any kind of uh, dairy product that's a year-round production totally and it, they absolutely astound me I mean if you've ever actually followed a dairy farmer and one of the great things about betting the farm is you can actually see what people do on the day in and day out and the conditions they have to work under um, but they originally started the whole concept of 24-7. I mean, they are up at 3 or 4 in the morning. They're milking. They're getting the cows. They're cleaning things out. They're sending them out to pasture, and then they're milking them again at 5 or 6 o'clock at night, and the whole cycle starts again. Mm. And the problem with the cows is they keep giving milk. They don't stop until they actually stop. Right, right, right. So um, with Hood, it wasn't that organic milk didn't have a market. It was just that these farms, judged by Hood, they were too far from their production facilities. Is that what was working? So it was costing them too much money to transport the milk from the farms to their production facilities. Yeah, and and, and this was actually the first shoe that dropped with H.P. Hood because by the end of the year, they actually exited the organic business entirely. Um, Hood had been the licensee from Stonyfield Farms of the Stonyfield Farms brand of milk not the yogurt, don't confuse that. Um, and, and the founders of Stonyfield um, Yogurt were quite unhappy with the way Hood was going, and they parted ways at the end of 2009, and then that's when Hood basically exited the organic mm. business again. So as you and, and Dave Bright and, and others began to think about, well, how do we respond to this? Um, it seems like you um, discovered one way or another a new model of, of thinking about how farmers might get together, and you rejected the co-op style. Tell us a little bit about how you came to the new model and perhaps why you chose it over the co-op style. Okay. Um, well, we started out, we actually had, I mean, ideally we were going to find one of the national, other national producers and find a home for these um, farms. And um, your, readers, uh, your listeners probably don't know this, but the milk market went into a tailspin at the end of 2008 and 2009. Um, the overall market nationwide was flooded. M organic prices and milk, regular milk prices for the farmer dropped to the lowest they've been in 30 or 40 years. Um, and so the market was a mess, and all of the local, all of the other major organic producers had no use for our farmers. Um, and words, they had plenty of volume closer to home, wherever they were producing. Yeah, and they were actually putting their own existing farms on allocation at that point in time because okay. it was too much. Um, so they had no use for us. So that meant that we had to find another solution. And since the clock was ticking, Hood gave them six months. All right which seems like a long period of time until you're trying to form a company and start a milk business. Um, and so we decided we had to form a company. Um, and we met with the farmers, and we had a lot of interesting debates over a period of time. Um, and in those debates, it came out that the farmers really didn't want to manage a company. 
Um, they wanted to be able to milk their cows, work with them. That was their business, and they did not want to run a milk company. So we went out to some of the lawyers here in the state who um, were known in the agricultural community, and, and one gentleman by the name of Paul Dillon out in Corinth, Maine, um, submitted a strange idea. He said, um, have you considered an L3C? And obviously everybody scratches their head and their eyes roll and whatnot. Um, and come to find out, that was the perfect vehicle for us. Um, an L3C is a variation on the LLC, which is a limited liability company. Um, it's very easily formed, it's cost effective, and you can form it any old way you want to. So we managed to make it so that the farmers would have always have 45% of the board of directors so that the strategic direction would always follow where they wanted to go. And they also maintained a certain portion of the company strictly on their own behalf as a group. And so what was the proposition to the farmers when you had that organized? You, you Again, what, what you were hoping to do was to provide more profits back to them. That was part of the, the idea. Completely. And as a matter of fact, we wrote that right into it, that 90% of any of the profits would go to the farmers. Um, uh, first, you have to make a profit, though. Right. Um, and in these ensuing years, we decided that we sort of were going to break our own rule. We sort of prepaid our payment on profits. And, and currently, um, this year, we advanced the prices we paid to the farmers to just about the highest in the nation. So mm. um, we're a little ahead of our curve on the profit, but it was important part of our overall mission. Right. So the, the betting the farm, and we'll talk with the, the uh, uh, directors and producers of that film in a, in a few minutes, but um, they kind of um, showed the ups and downs of that um, very well. Okay. well. But if you could just kind of tell us a, a, a thumbnail sketch of those ups and downs. Okay. The thumbnail sketch is that we we're always behind the capital curve. And because we had a click ticking time bomb, um, we had to get started really before you would normally want to do it. Um, in terms of sales? In, in terms of anything. Right. Okay. Um, and we did um, make arrangement with Smiling Hill down in Westbrook, Maine to be able to process our milk. Of course, Dairy jumped in and helped us design the carton, gave us the machine for filling it, and actually wrote a distribution contract so they could just distribute our milk for us. But Smiling Hill wasn't able at the 1st of October when all the contracts ran out to start production until the 1st of February mm. 2010. Mm. For those four months, I took the stock market adage of buy low and sell high and turned it on its head. I bought high. I paid our farmers organic prices because we wanted to keep them going. Mm -hmm. And fortunately, Oakhurst agreed to take that milk, but they were only going to pay conventional prices. Mm -hmm. And the gap between the two is as wide as it's ever been in the last 30 years. So I managed to buy high and sell low. And that was before you had a product that was basically going into um, that particular... Uh, Just raw milk? Right, right. Yep. Right. So... Um, and because of that, we were always behind the curve, and it got really dicey at times. You know, I, would, I was raising money to fill the hole, and sometimes, you know, I couldn't raise it quite fast enough. Mm -hmm. And so our farmers really were put in a lot of stress. Mm. So then you got into production, um, and that must have been a story. We won't have time to tell the whole story. But how did you begin to attract um, um, the the, the the sales piece, the marketing piece. Okay. Um, we're fortunate that uh, this happened in Maine. I don't think that Moo could have gotten off the ground anywhere else in the nation. Um, we've got chains that are headquartered here, Hannaford for one, um, which have been tremendously generous in allocating space for us. Um, 
chains like Whole Foods throughout New England have also been tremendously instrumental in our growth. And there's a lot of others, um, um, too numerous dimensions. But we were able to get shelf space, and the consumers, understanding our story, the ones that did, supported us as we started our growth. Mm. So um, where, what was the lowest point in that kind of story, that thing, and where are you now? Um, probably the lowest point was in sort of the middle of 2010. Um, we had gotten on the shelves, but once again, I was running around trying to raise capital while actually getting sales on the shelf. Um, and it was a very difficult time, and we didn't have that much money. Um, we were always behind the curve. Um, but in 2011, we had a core group of investors that made substantial investments in us, stabilized us financially, and since then, we've been growing very rapidly. We're growing at the rate of about 10 or 12% each month, one over month sales. And the growth and the growth looks really great. So hopefully by the end of this year, next year sometime, we might even be at break even. And, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> You've added farmers in the last uh, several months as well. Yes, we've been very fortunate that um, we lost some of our original farmers, but because of the... Um, success that we've had, <clears throat> what we've ended up doing is being able to track more farmers, and there's now 12 of us, as well as we're looking at some more over the next year or two to bring on board. And part of the story of the film and the part of 2010-2011 um, was asking farmers to, to be investors as well. Mm -hmm. This was probably the hardest thing for them to understand. Um, it was fine to say that we were going to form a company, but the reality is is that then they are participating in the ups and downs, which they weren't really used to. Mm. So when they said um, early on that they didn't want to be in the business of running a, uh, a milk company, that was part of it. They didn't want to have to deal with those kinds of ups and downs, and um, they wanted somebody else to, to, to worry, and I guess that's you. <laughs> I, I, I seem to have gotten that designated title. Uh -huh. That's most of my job description. Right. You worry. To worry. Well, um, let's uh, see. If, I think we, we're going to have uh, um, Aaron Bell on the line from Tide Mill Organic Farm in just a moment. I'll remind listeners they're tuned to uh, WERU and listening to Talk of the Towns as we talk about moo milk and betting the farm. And Bill Eldridge is our guest here in the studio. Um, let's see if we've got uh, um, Aaron Bell on the line. Yes, a Aaron, welcome to Talk of the Towns this morning. Hello. What's it, what's it like in, in your part of Washington County this morning? It's actually uh, a little colder than it's been, but it's warming up, and um, we're able to haul some manure. It's going to be warm enough that it's not going to freeze in the truck today. So we're uh, hopefully making progress. I uh, follow the Moo Milk uh, website, and some of the most stunning pictures in the world come from your part of uh, the Moo Milk uh, family. Um, tell us a little bit about your farm and its history. Well, uh, we're ninth... We're a ninth-generation farm. Um, I'm a member of the eighth generation. Um, there are four members of the eighth generation currently living and working in some aspect um, on the farm and in the forests and in the fields of Washington County. Um, there's, yeah, so we, we've got a long history here. Dairy farming has been a piece of the, the farm economics and... Um, sustainability model for multi-generations and probably the biggest gap in that activity in the dairy activity was from 1977 um, when my parents and my aunt my uncle and my grandfather got out of it um, until 2005 when we got back into it 
So I can't do the math for nine generations, eight generations. Tell us what's the first year when your family had kind of started to put down their roots. 1765. So uh, we settled here in 1765, and we've been... uh farming here ever since that's amazing that's amazing and and uh so tell us about getting that letter from hood um how did you and carly um your partner and and uh business partner as well um how did you how did you cope with that well it's never good news when you get a certified mail um from your one and only market for your product it's either uh you know they're giving you a raise or or it's bad news and the the unlikely event we were pretty sure it wasn't going to be a raise, so we um, started just making alternative arrangements and creating a brand name for ourselves in the retail market and started uh, working diligently on marketing our raw milk um, to, local, to local markets. And we were really excited when the idea of moo milk came about, and we realized we weren't the only ones in this boat. There was a bunch of farmers, and um, we could accomplish more by working together. Uh, than we could by each trying to survive on our own. So that's what we did. So uh, how much does dairy make up your kind of overall picture, your economic picture? What's what's the um, the, the size of that compared to the, the whole farm? About 50% of our income comes from bulk milk sales. So that would be from moo milk. and But we sell 70% of all of our, you know, way more than half of our milk to moo milk. We still dabble in retail markets and sell some raw milk. Um, but it's it's we couldn't survive without the milk check coming in. So, but we do offer a lot of other products as well because we were a diversified organic farm before we started milking. Um, so we've continued with all those other product lines as well. And how many cows are you milking? We're milking just about fifty, between forty and fifty. And um, does that feel about right as a as a uh, an operation, or um, are you po- poised for some growth as well? Well, we would like to work with other fields in the area, other land bases in the area, and outsource the raising of our non-milking cows. And in doing that, that would get other farmland back into production and make more room on the farm for existing milkers. Um, And given more room and more attention, they would make more milk and even have room for some more cows. So we definitely want to make more milk to keep the milk truck full for making that long trip to Washington County. Um, and we're working with other farmers in the area that are somewhat interested in being a part of that, um, either in maybe milking some cows themselves or raising non-lactating cows to free up more room um, on our existing dairy farms. Aaron, one of the things you might want to mention is that you were one of our early recipients of uh, the Whole Foods Moo Milk Buy a Cow Loan Fund. That's right. Yeah, we have some cows that we got through a Whole Foods program, which is a pretty neat program, um, where they are so dedicated to their suppliers that they're willing to actually uh, fund some growth on those farms. So, um, yeah, we're we're participating in that program where we uh, borrowed some money uh, through Whole Foods to actually put milk on their shelves. So this connection that I think your whole operation um, speaks to is the connection between the customer and the the farmer. Exactly. I think there's a major disconnect there, and we've been going, getting more disconnected um, as ag has gotten more industrialized. And what we're seeing is um, we're meeting the, we're willing to meet the customer halfway, and the customer is actually interested 
in meeting the farm a little bit and getting to know the farm a little bit. And Whole Foods is a great conduit in actually helping introduce us to the customer. Um, and we've been doing that as an individual farm for you know, ever since we've been farming, um, you know, introducing ourselves as Tide Mill Farm and come on by the farm, we'll take you around. And, you know, anyone who's interested in direct marketing, any farmer who's doing direct marketing realizes the value of that relationship, um, you know, is is what is tried to, that value is what industrial ag tries to mimic with multi-million dollar ad campaigns. Um, and we're hoping to do some advertising, but we have gotten a lot of the, We've made the progress we've made because of our willingness to make that relationship and the customer's eagerness to get to know us um, and want to know the story of Moo Milk and who we are. And so that that loyalty is something that... um, is priceless. Mm. And Bill, you had said that uh, um, you didn't think Moomel could could have gotten started anywhere else, and that's that cu- customer kind of interest. Do you see that kind of same interest as you expand your markets? Are people interested in Maine and, and Maine's kind of brand for o- organic local milk? Very, very much so. <clears throat> One of the things that's amazed me is that um, even though we're from Maine, whether we're in Hartford, Connecticut, or Providence, Rhode Island, or Boston, um, the local consumers consider us a local source. Uh, it's part of it. It's a main brand, but part of it is just as Aaron said, we put out very much that this is a small family type company. Um, our farmers are part of our family, and we want to share it. And anybody who wants to go to our website, www.moomilk.com, will find out that we've got lots of information about all the farmers, and we continually update it. And my fervent hope is that sometime by the end of this year, we have cow cams. Cow cams. <clears throat> How would that work? Well, each farm, um, we would have to set up an internet connection to um, a video cam feed. Um, and ideally, so that people would be able to see the cows going out to pasture in the day and coming back at night. And maybe we might have a feature where we would have a countdown to a calving at some place like Carly, Carly and Aaron's place and that sort of stuff. So, and the other, the other interesting aspect of that is uh, instead of starting Facebook, we're going to be start launching a new network called Utterbook. Um, it's where all of the dairy farmers involved in new milk can have a network that connects all their cows so they can stay up to date on what all their friends are doing on a moment-to-moment basis. <laughs> That's great. So, um, Aaron, you have kind of um, uh, talked about um, your farm as being kind of an anchor, maybe the last dairy farm um, um, from the last generation, but you hope it's the anchor for, for um, uh, progress in the future and other, other dairy farmers saying, I think we could um, team up with you and, and do something similar in Washington County. Yeah, actually, David James, um, he's now producing milk for Moo Milk. He was one of the last ones here in Washington County. He was shipping milk up until the 90s. Um, and he's now on the Moo truck. Herb McPhail is on the Moo truck. He's another neighbor of mine. They were both milking, um, you know, in the 80s and the 90s as well. And we got out, my family got out in 77. So I think, you know, we weren't one of the last ones producing, but uh, definitely the end of that era of when it became, you know, feasible to send a milk truck to Washington County. And we're hoping that we've uh, started a resurgence of an interest in small-scale dairying and a fees, you know, and most of all that it's feasible and that the customer is willing to, to pay what we need to be in business on small family farms um, that aren't right near the interstate um, or near major cities. So we're, yeah, we're hoping that we can see growth on, on these farms in um, rural Maine. 
And um, tell us a little bit about your uh, connection to um, Cecily and Jason um, as they produced, um, as they filmed for um, Betting the Farm. Um, you were among the characters that uh, we saw in that story. Um, what was that like? Um, it was um, we, we. It was a little strange at first, but we got used to it, and especially when we could see that they. Um, they really knew how to stay out of the way, and they knew that we were extremely busy on the farms. Um, so they really were cautious not to interfere uh, with farm activity, and also that they were, um, you know, very empathetic to what we were all going going through. And uh, it was we became friends with them, so we we had a you know good time in that sense. That some of it was painful, and the interviews and the things that they made you discuss and kind of realize what's at stake here. Um, but at the same time, it was reality, and it was a message that uh, wouldn't have gotten out there if it wasn't for their dedication to that cause, um, you know, and capturing that message. So, so I really appreciate the work that they do. And that connection to the consumer um, that that film provides, it tells the story, um, and you do see a cow being born. And um, so that, that's something that most people don't, don't get a chance to, to see on, on, a, on a regular basis. So um, it's great to see it on film. Yeah, I think that's one of the major things missing in, um, you know, as society moves away from less and less local farms, whether it be a dairy farm or a vegetable farm, you have less and less people working on farms and what happens on farms is you have to nurture life and you have to take care of life and you realize the uh the fragility and the importance and the miraculousness of it on the farm whether it's you're producing vegetables or milk or whatever but particularly with a dairy farm you're you're dependent so much on the care um for that family that that lactating animal i mean that that is a you know, that is a mother cow, and you have multi-generations of mothers and grandmothers and granddaughters, all that you're taking care of, and you have to do such a good job at it. But I think when you have children or generations or even neighborhood kids being exposed to that, um, that level of care and urgency, it only makes for a better society that, as a result, comes out of that saturation within the landscape and when we've lost that saturation we've lost our family farms we're starting to see degradations of that um you know we're just seeing societal problems and um i hope that that small dairy farms can save the world so uh that's what that's what we're trying to do and you've got um uh, four now small children is that right yeah yeah we have four four children here that's helping on the farm and uh, my cousin has three children here on the farm and my other cousin has a new baby here on the farm too so there's there's all kinds of the ninth generation here uh running around getting a farm experience so we hope that um they take some of this with them out into the world and it translates into a better world and some of them may end up um farming as well we hope for that as well we hope the farm <laughs> goes another nine generations Great. Well, Aaron, thanks so much. Any last words for our listeners? Go out today and get some fresh moo milk. I just put some uh, fresh milk in the tank that will be arriving shortly at the grocery store. So that's the other thing about moo milk. It's, it's super fresh. It's so local that it hasn't gotten trucked across the country. Great, great. Well, Aaron, and thanks so much for joining us on Talk of the Towns. Okay, thank you, Ron, and thanks, Bill. Thanks, Aaron. 
That's Aaron Bell of Tide Mill Organic Farm. And um, you're tuned to WERU and Talk of the Towns. We're talking about moo milk. And in a moment, we'll hear um, from Cecily Pingree and Jason Mann of Pull Start Pictures. Um, they produced um, Betting the Farm, which has made the rounds in Maine and tells the story of moo milk and the farmers. And uh, so in a moment, we'll go to that. But I would uh, uh, say um, get your pencils out and write down this number. So if you'd like to participate after the interview, um, the taped interview, um, you can do so. 1-866-625-9378 after about 14 minutes of, of interview. It starts with, with uh, uh, Cecily talking about how they met um, Aaron Bell and other farmers uh, because they'd been in, uh, producing a film called uh, Meet Your Farmer. So let's go to that interview now. We met Aaron and Carly in October of 2009, and we continued to shoot um, this story for the, the course of two years. Um, I think very immediately, though, once we learned, um, we were shooting all day one day for Meet Your Farmer, and Aaron and Carly at the end of the day told us that they were going to lose their bulk milk market um, and that they were creating... Um, a new business or they were going to attempt to create a new business with all these other dairy farmers um, that had just gotten dropped by Hood, had just gotten their notice. Um, so pretty quickly there after we called Bill Eldridge, who's the CEO of Moo Milk, um, and asked him if we could come to one of the board meetings. And he, um, you know, thankfully was like, yeah, sure. I don't, I don't know why you'd want to come, but you can come to the meetings. <laughs> and so um, we showed up and um, we met uh, the other characters in the film that we started to follow for the next two years. And I think, I mean, very quickly we realized that um, it was going to be an interesting story right away just because they're very um, compelling humans and they were attempting to do something that was sort of unusual and there was no doubt that it was going to be hard. I don't think we knew or they knew it was going to be as hard as it was to get this company off the ground. Um, but I think we were very, very immediately... Um, uh, we knew that we were going to, to we were going to follow this. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, whether we knew it was going to be a feature length film right away, and I don't know whether we knew what it was going to look like. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, yeah. I, being in that first board meeting, I definitely I do remember the feeling. Just the instant we, I mean, every one of the major characters was in that room. Mm -hmm. So we had met Aaron, Aaron, and we'd met Bill, I guess, before that meeting. But that was the first time we laid eyes on Vaughn or Richard or Mark or. Um, we may have met Romy, I don't remember, but I did have the feeling there are a lot of interesting, different people in this room. I mean, they're, they seemed very different from each other and, and fascinating. And so, Sess is totally right. It's, you, that alone doesn't mean you're necessarily going to be able to make a film out of it, but I think without that, you know you don't have one. So, mm. so this was different than the commission from Maine Farm yeah, yeah. This is This is going on your instinct that there's yeah. something there. There's a story yeah. to be told. Which is a totally different. For us, it was a very scary. You know, I mean, we, we had been doing a fair amount of commissioned work for all different kinds of organizations. And, and usually, you know, they come to us and they say, this is what we're attempting to do. This mm -hmm. is our message. It's either to sort of for advocacy. It's to get more people interested in their mission. It's to help raise money. So it was always, you know, it was their sort of agenda, which is what we do. And, and we were happy to do that. But this was much more like, oh, man, we have to decide when to shoot, what to shoot. Um, when to you know get on in the car and drive to Aroostook County just because we have some instinct that something's going to happen, mm. um, and that was a very different um, way for us to work and very exciting. But also, you're just sort of you're just going for it, <laughs> whether it's good or bad. Well, the, the, did you, when did you sense the arc of the of the story? The, the sense that um, people were excited about the beginning, but then this this. Um, 
was it going to work? And yeah. people putting their, their farms on the line. When did that begin to emerge and, and <laughs> how did you stay with it? Yeah. I, I mean, I think that the my sense early on was I, I'm trying to remember what it even felt like <laughs> at the very beginning, but, but my sense was that this seems like an incredibly difficult thing to do. Hmm. This could totally fail. I mean, let's be honest, this might fail, but I definitely, you know, my impression was this is either going to take off like a shot or it's going to fail by next week. And that's, I was totally wrong about that. I mean, basically what happened was they, it was very difficult. It didn't really get any less difficult, but it, it was a really long process of an exhausting process of ups and downs and, you know, two steps forward, one step back, or maybe it was one or, you know, the other <laughs> way around. Um, and so I think that over, it, it, there's really no one moment where I felt like, okay, this is the arc of it. But after a while, if you turn and kind of look back at where you started <laughs> and you say, oh my God, it's been a year and a half. These people have put up with, you know, financial tension that would that would be crippling to me if it was if it was me and my family i don't i don't even know how they've they've done this it was more that um uh, you know looking looking back from after we'd been in it for a year and a half all of a sudden you realized it's kind of about that tenacity that refusal to give up and that was where it came from for me yeah um i would agree with jason and also just say you know i think for documentary and particularly for the story that we were trying to tell, it was um, it was about these families' lives. It was about people's lives, and um, we shot it that way. We shot 300 hours, and we you know had to turn that into an 84-minute film. And that's only to say that we spent a lot of time with these people. And I think once you invest in people's lives and their story, there's no turning back. You know, we couldn't just shoot 50 hours and say, "Well, God, you guys, it's going to be hard for you guys, but good luck." You know, it was kind of like we had already committed to telling this story. And then uh, the the, the second part of it is, and I mean, I think that's the the most important is sort of the human aspect. But we also to make films a documentary, an independent film, you have to raise grant money and we had um, raised a fair amount of grant money just through writing grants and we had lucked out by getting some some you know organizations and foundations behind us so I think at that point too it was like okay well people believe that this is an important story to tell not just for Maine but this is this is a story that other people can relate to whether it's um, businesses um, or families under a lot of stress trying to make something new and different work mm. it seems like that um, as you got into the story um, there were moments that when I saw the film in Bar Harbor a couple of weeks ago, it was it was almost painful because you were you were seeing um, both at the family setting and at the board meetings something that was really difficult, mm-hmm. and yet people allowed you to film that. What, what, how, how did they know that this was the right thing to be doing? Do you, do you have a sense of that? I feel like we get that question. <laughs> we just I was in Vinyl Haven a couple nights ago, and somebody asked pretty much exactly that question: Why on earth? I mean. I, I put myself in their shoes. I, I don't know if I would let somebody no make way. a documentary about my <laughs> life. It, they'd have to be very persuasive. Um, I, you know, I don't want to speak for the people that allowed us to do this, but I think that the making a film that's really a verite film where you're spending a lot of time with people and shooting a lot, it the two sides have to trust each other. Um, mm-hmm. They have to be able to trust us that we're not going to exploit them, that we're going to do a good job telling their story. We have to trust them that they're, you know, being honest and open with us. And it's it's something that just takes a lot of time with people. I don't think there's any there's yeah. any shortcut. 
So that that time factor, the fact that you'd already done um, meet your farmer, um, they may have seen that. Yeah. They may have trusted the result of of your project yeah. um, in the past. Yeah. But you spent so much time with these folks. Yeah, and I think that you know that's the only way. This is our you know first venture at a feature length film, so it wasn't like we really knew what we were doing. But I think that we Definitely knew. Not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we won't get into what we didn't know you were doing, but um, I think. We knew that, it, like any like any relationship, like any friendship, that you have to spend time um, with those people, and um, we were committed to that. We were mm-hmm. committed to um, sort of being there and shooting a lot, and knowing that a lot of the stuff we were going to shoot obviously edited, ended up in the edit room floor, and we'll never see it again. And God knows nobody wants to see the stuff <laughs> that didn't make it into the film, but. I mean, and a lot of credit goes to these people and, and all the folks, the characters, and the Moo Milk as a whole um, for letting us into their lives like this. It was a really, you know, there are a lot of really sort of quiet, intimate, emotional um, moments and really exhausting and frustrating moments that these people um, went through and that they let us film between their own relationships, between the company, between, you know, just there's a, there's a lot there that um, I was so impressed. And like Jason said, I mean, who in their right mind would ever let you want to be followed around by a camera? I mean, that sounds just <laughs> yeah. horrific. And thankfully, people do because we would be out of a job. But, you know, I mean, right. these folks really did open up in a way that um, if they hadn't, we wouldn't have been able to tell the story the way that we thought we wanted to tell it. And that was really just sort of a, the human side of, um, you know, these food issues, these ag issues, all of this. this you know, there's many layers to it, but we wanted to tell it through the eyes of these farmers are within mm. their families so mm. yeah i mean you could certainly have told this story in a different way and and it would and it would be fascinating i mean you could do something that was much more about the global dairy market and how that affects the national dairy market and how that trickles down to a state like maine um and there's a there's a real place for that kind of storytelling and i think we all appreciate it but we were we're in i think what we're best at and what we were in it for is really a just the story of these people um and for that i think you have to really know the people and mm. you can't do that in a day you can't do it in a week it mm. takes time one of my favorite pieces of that film was watching bill eldridge pick up the milk cartons and drop them <laughs> time after time and as a co- consumer of moo milk i mean i knew that problem existed i mean everybody knows that problem existed that, that's tried to stay with it but the, the that kind of basic research how come these cartons are leaking? <laughs> Do you have any more insight about that particular story? I mean, watching Bill <laughs> must have been so frustrating. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is It is unbelievable when the CEO of the milk company is smashing cartons against a concrete floor for hours to try and figure out what's wrong. Hours. I mean, uh, maybe, I don't know if it was hours. Cecily yeah. shot that day. Thank no, it was God. hours. But, um, I, don't, I mean, I think that in some ways it's indicative of just the way, you know, that may or may not have been the perfect way to figure out what was mm. wrong with the mm. milk cartons. But the bottom line is that um, this group of people has solved a lot of complicated problems, even problems that they weren't necessarily prepared to solve by just working hard and not and not giving up. And that sounds really simple and easy, but the bottom line is there aren't enough hands in an organization like this to do every job perfectly. There's no money to go hire some consultant that knows how to fix your milk machine. Sometimes somebody's just got to go bang their head against the problem until it until they can fix it. So um, I think it's and it you know it's also that 
this is the kind of thing that you don't think would be part of the pro- part of the challenge of starting a milk company. This is, but it's huge. I mean, if people people don't want milk all over their fridge, and they're not going to buy your milk, you have to solve it. And you know, dairy farmers don't have a lot of extra time in their day to begin with. So it's, I mean, I think it's indicative of a lot of small problems that mm-hmm. were big issues for the company. Mm. Yeah. And I think it's just one of the many unique situations that this company was in, like Jason said, just to figure out their own problems. There was nobody else to figure out these and it, they had to be, they had to, it had to happen quickly. You know, a consumer's only going to go to the store so many times and buy your leaky milk and say, you know what, like I'm sick of cleaning out my refrigerator, like this can't happen anymore. So um, whether it was the CEO of the company or these farmers, um, these farmers' families, there was so much, I think, that is um, unique about this company when they are all sitting around these board meetings. You know, I mean, the farmers um, represent half of the board and they sit in those meetings and they get really frustrated. But at the end of the day, they have to help figure out you know, how they're going to run their company, what's going to make this company successful. And it's like any other small business. It's just these guys are a small business that's trying to band together to compete um, for large space in the grocery store. You know, if they hadn't banded together, they wouldn't have been able to have enough bulk milk to get into Hannaford's, to get into Whole Foods. And that's sort of the essential part of it is that, you know, local farmers markets are excellent and they're essential for a lot of farmers, but these guys have such huge amounts of bulk milk every day. You know, they milk cows twice a day. So that's a lot of milk. And with these 10 farms, when they got dropped, there had to be a bigger option. They had to um, band together with Hannaford's and Oakers and Smiling Hill to build this sort of distribution system that could handle that amount of um, milk all at once. Mm. So again, without those partners, this company would have never gotten off the ground. But without this sort of group of people being very invested and dedicated to the idea that this just has to work, if this doesn't work, that particularly the, you know, the down east farmers, I mean, there was no other option. The central Maine farmers and some of the aroostook farmers could have gone to Oakers if they wanted to, but then they would go into the conventional market and conventional milk market, um, at least this summer, um, it's just been really poor, really, you know, really hard to, to make a go of it. But the Washington County farmers like Aaron and Carly, they would be totally out of a bulk milk market. And they are a, an incredible diversified farm that do a lot of different things and work incredibly hard at all of those things. But you know, it's a, it's crucial to have, you know, the bulk a, milk market. A big piece of their, their yeah. puzzle. Right, right puzzle. exactly. And their neighbors, too, and their, and the hopeful neighbors that they will bring on um, to the truck in the coming mm-hmm. years. You know, that is that is what is going to keep Washington County dairy um, farmers mm-hmm. going. That was our interview with uh, Cecily Pingree and Jason Mann um, from back in October when we um, tried to do this story the first time and had some technical difficulties. You're tuned to Talk of the Towns here on WERU. And in the studio with us, we have Bill Eldridge, who's the CEO of Maine's own organic milk or Moo Milk. And we'd love to have your phone calls at this point um, to direct this conversation about Moo Milk. Give us a call at one 866 625-9378 as we talk about moo milk and betting the farm. Well, Bill, um, you solved some of the problems by perseverance and, and picking up those milk cartons and banging them on the floor. That that must have been a real challenge. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, sometimes in life, you're fortunate to be able to do, um, apply a lot of the things that you've learned over a long business career. 
And since I'd been in the ag and food business for almost up to 50 years, I've I've done all of those things that you saw in the movie, plus a lot of other things. Uh, I'm not very good on windows, and other than the Navy, I really am not big on cleaning out bathrooms, but I've done it. <laughs> and so starting a small business, you really have to be able to do it for long periods of time, longer than you wanted to. Otherwise, you die. Mm. Mm. So um, as you look um, ahead, um, what are some of the things that you are hoping to do in the next couple of years, for instance? Um, I would like to see us have, you know, 30 or 40 farms, maybe even beyond Maine. Because the organic milk market is big enough um, to to take all those um, farmers on. Yeah, um, one of the amazing things is that the overall milk market has been declining for a number of years. Um, and particularly conventional milk, it drops about three or four percentage points each year. Um, but the organic is a growth sector. And other than 2009, when it was the depth of the Depression, it's had positive two-digit growth every year. And for the since 2009 and 10, 11, and 12, it's basically running at about 12 to 15%. Mm-hmm. So it's a nice little market to be in. And, and um, fortunately, we've got people that appreciate that. Mm. So that that would imply that you're expanding your markets um, nationally or at least um, throughout the Northeast? Um, we have no desire. Be, um, basically, we want to remain local. Okay. Um, we're a fresh product, and we have a very limited shelf life. So that means that probably the furthest we'd ever expand to would be New York City. But our focus is New England, mm. from here down to Hartford, over to Providence, and back up every state in between. And that's what Maine's traditional role was, or role was from the um, 1900s, for instance. It was the, the food basket for this, this part of the world. Certainly. And, and, and within the state itself, there's been a tremendous movement over the last four or five years. Different organizations and entities are really getting into promoting agriculture and food within the state of Maine to once again gain the level of prominence that it deserves. one 625 Give us a call here on Talk of the Towns as we talk about moo milk and um, betting the farm. We'll certainly take your comments uh, about betting the farm as well um, here on Talk of the Towns. one 625 I imagine um, as you think about the marketing, you think about not only um, uh, milk but other products as well, uh, those being developed as well. Yeah, we um, um, unfortunately it always takes money, so we're, that we're in the process of doing raising the funds to make this happen. But um, we have been confined to basically just a half gallon in cardboard cartons. We have to get another machine that can do quarts or pints and whatnot. And we're going to introduce flavored milks and who knows cream and butter and half and half. So we'll expand the product line over the next couple of years. Mm. So the, the the barrier to that is raising capital, as it was at the beginning. Um, we have a phone call. We'll take that. Maybe we come back to the question of, of raising capital. Um, give us your first name and where you're calling from, and then go ahead with your question or comment, please. Hi. Yeah, I just have a question, and, you know, and, of course, congratulations for the, the large effort this must have been to get set up. I, I'm... Uh, I'm not a dairy farmer. I do enjoy fresh milk. Uh, and I have kept cows in my life, kept a cow. Uh, but my uh, my business experience in this respect is not uh, large at all. Uh, but I have, I, have, uh, I have been following fairly closely the Farmer Brown situation. And um, I, you know, I sort of hesitate to bring this to the uh, table. Uh, but I'm I am interested in representing the uh, 
my own my own uh, uh, focus, which is micro small. Uh, we talk about small farm, and I, I went to a meeting once uh, of the, uh, the certification mechanisms uh, that have to do with small farms, and, and uh, learned that small farms uh, was anything uh, in, in the range of a 200 or 100 uh, head uh, dairy, uh, and uh, I, there's there's a whole nother. Uh, uh, level of this, which has to do with minute farms, where one cow is supplying maybe three or four families with milk, which can easily be done. So your very, very your, local que- level. your question then? My question is: I'm curious about the the uh, the free range versus organic uh, 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 d- d- discrimination in there. I, I wonder what. Uh, free range means to moo milk, and what organic means to to moo milk, and I also uh, just w- would hope that uh, that we can all be uh, working together to uh, protect the the, um, the, um, the retail interests of of all the small farmers. In this Great, thanks for your call. One eight six 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 two five nine three seven eight. Bill, a response to that, uh, and I know that other folks have talked about the fact that these aren't um, um, uh, these aren't competing markets. Um, no, we've got we've and got Aaron and, and Carly selling raw milk to their local local neighbors, and they're selling to moo milk. Um, and as a matter of fact, when we were developing with our farmers the f- supply contract with them, one of the things that we were adamant about is that anything that a farmer can do to improve their economic well-being, we support. If it's selling raw milk, if it's making yogurt, if it's making cheese, we want them to do it. We recognize that that impacts our supply, but it's more important for us to make sure that our basic mission of supporting the farmers is enhanced. And at the same time, one of the things that um, our listener brought up is the difference between natural and organic. And and the real big difference uh, for some farmers is just nothing more than a label. Um, the USDA in Washington, D.C., in its infinite wisdom, sets up the rules for organic, and MOFCA in the state has its essentially certifying accredited agency that goes around and inspects against those standards and gives a seal of approval. But there's many natural farms out there that follow the exact same practices. They just don't want to go through the trouble of getting certified. Hmm. So part of both of that is part of the story that we're, we're I think, sensing customers want. They want to know about their farmers. And so whether it's the local farmer that has one cow and they're supplying three families, or it's a slightly larger, the 40 or 50 cow, they want to know um, how that works. Completely. And one of Moo's missions, one of its social missions, is to try and help educate the consumer about what the life of a small dairy farm is. Mm. And so that's why we have their little farm story in our packages. That's why we are looking at cow cams. Mm. So um, you were able to, uh, I'll list our phone number one time, more time because I think we have time for at least another call, one 625 as we talk about moo milk. Uh, Bill Eldridge, you had the opportunity to show um, betting the farm or to be, be at the agricultural trade show this last week. Um, what's been the reaction when you showed this film? Um, the, the general audience has been very positive. You were showing it to, to folks in agriculture. What was the response? It was pretty amazing. You know, we... Uh, we thought about it, and since the movie had come out and, and there had been interest, we thought, we, at least for our contemporaries, the people that are in the industry, we should make the opportunity for them. Because, as you know, most dairy farmers are pretty well tied up during the day and the night. Um, so we set up a room, and um, 
had a number of showings, and it was really amazing. We would have 25 or 30 people hanging on words of the throw and actually ask questions and want to get some answers after the end of the show. So it was very rewarding. Mm. And what's next for the film? Um, you, uh, if, if Cecily were here, you, we'd ask her, but you're, you're here. We can ask you. Okay. Well, a couple of things have happened. Um, they're continuing to branch out beyond the state of Maine. Um, there's showings across the nation. They're participating in a number of film festivals everywhere from Missouri, and they've had things from overseas. I don't think they're doing the overseas ones, but they're going around the nation. And in addition, Whole Foods has what's called its Get Real program, where they sponsor relevant documentaries. And uh, Moon Milk for the month of January is being supported by Whole Foods across the nation. And they usually have anywhere up to 50 to 70 showings across the nation each time they support it. Mm. And we hope that public television is going to pick this up as well? I believe so. Mm. I'd have to leave that question to Cecily, but she's given some indication that there's interest. And it wouldn't surprise me if there is an announcement on their website and our website sometime in the near future about a schedule of some nature. Great. So listeners who are interested in, in if you haven't seen Betting the Farm, um, you could go to the Moo Milk um, website um, and find out more about that uh, that particular film and also about Moo Milk. Um, again, uh, it, you've, you've expressed your hopes. Are there some challenges that you're trying to work on? We talked about capital. How are you uh, tackling that capital um, challenge? Well, it's it just like someone offered to lend me some money when we were getting started, and I said that I was digging a hole big enough that I didn't need to add interest on top of it. So um, we've primarily been in the equity market, and we've really been working with socially responsible investors. Um, How does that work? Just to describe it for our listeners. It, it basically is, is like a venture capital thing. You're at a really risky venture, um, and you're willing to make a bet in the general venture capital market to make a bet that it will be a big hit. With us, it's basically people who want to change the face of the earth. Um, Moo's a template, and ideally, if Moo's successful, we can have other firms like this supporting our small farms. So these are uh, folks um, that that have means, and they're saying, we um, believe in the social aspect of, of uh, um, this, this aspect, and they're going to invest in that, in that gamble. That's exactly right. And just for our particular purposes right now, what we've had is that because we've been managed to grow the company for the last three years, it's a lot less risky proposition. <laughs> great, great. We have one more phone call, I think. Um, go ahead and give us the uh, your town and where you're calling, uh, your name. Okay, and, I'm, yeah, go ahead. I'm Jim Nichols. I'm here in Stockton Springs. I have an organic uh, market garden, and I'm in my sink right now washing vegetables, listening to you folks. And uh, <laughs> the, Your success it really helps out guys like me. It just spreads the word that it's possible for small operators to make a go of it. So keep it up. Oh, well, thanks, thanks, for, thanks for calling, Joe. Um, well, we're about out of time, but this this notion of um, if 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 uh, socially in, in interested so social investors were interested, how would they get in, involved if they chose to? Um, we've got some very distinct programs that are available for smaller folks, um, and they can go to our website to find out about it. But um, the Whole Foods Moo Milk Biocall Loan Fund is going to continue. We're going to maintain a fund which can help purchase cows for our farmers to increase their yield and what have you. Um, there's also a program that we've developed with Wayside and, and, and at times with um, um, uh, a bunch of the other um, food kitchens. And basically people can donate money to for the organization 
they get a tax deduction, and then we get to sell them our milk that we couldn't sell elsewhere mm. at a very economical price. The film talked about um, Rush Limbaugh's reaction. We won't have a long time to talk about that. But he seemed to be reaction that, reacting that say companies shouldn't have a social mission. But Moon Milk does have a social mission. I think all companies should have a social mission. Um, the day where you could just isolate, be a bandit, and run off and hide in the woods was gone. Mm. We're all interconnected. We're all interconnected to the earth today. And if we don't work together, we will never have an earth that we want in the future. Great. And list your website one more time, Bill. Um, www.moomilkco.com. Great. Well, thanks for being with us this morning. Great pleasure. Great. We've come to that time when I want to you remind know, you that this program was produced with support from Cooperative Extension and the Hancock County Extension Association. With offices in each county, Cooperative Extension is the major educational outreach program of the University of Maine. Our radio collaboration with WERU began in 1990 and continues with your support. Join us from 10 to 11 on the second and fourth Friday mornings of each month for Talk of the Towns. Our theme music is a medley from Coronac on a Balnain House Highland music recording. Thanks again to our guest in the studio, Bill Eldridge, the CEO of Moo Milk. We also spoke with Aaron Bell. He and um, his partner um, run Tide Mill Organic Farm down in Washington County. And we had an interview from um, an earlier show from Cecily Pingree and Jason Mann of Pull Start Pictures, who produced um, the film Betting the Farm. We thanked all of them. And thanks to our um, listeners who called in with your questions and experience. Thanks to our underwriters. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Ron Beard, your host for Talk of the Towns, wishing you a good morning. Good morning.